everybody. Welcome back to the Center for Congregations podcast, and I am so excited to introduce to you our Southwest Director, J.C. Campbell. J.C., say hello to the audience. Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome, welcome. I'm glad to be here. So excited to have J.C. on board. He's helping out out of our Evansville office and uh, is responsible for our work in Southwest Indiana. So we're glad to have him here and glad to have him as a part of the podcast. So a uh, fun interview, too, I think. Um, we'll talk to Julian DeChazier in just a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. But the topic primarily really kind of focuses on change, uh, JC. And so how has the topic of change been coming up for you in your work with congregations uh, around Indiana? Well, I think uh, the topic of change has been been very prevalent and also important in our congregations, and it's come up in both positive and negative ways. Mm. I say positive because there are a lot of congregations that are now seeing that there is a, a new demographic of individuals that are seeking Christ and seeking community. Um, there are individuals that need uh, certain things from the church that may be different from another set of, of individuals. So churches are trying to adapt, mm. you know, uh, to, to kind of fit those needs and, and meet those those gaps, mm-hmm. but there's also uh, that change, and that, and, and and let me preface by saying that change is positive. I mean, so when a church comes and says, "Oh my goodness, we were only feeding 25 families, but now our community sees the work that we do. How do we go from 25 to 50, or 50 to 100?" So those kinds of changes and dynamics and leadership and structure and transition, I think, are very important. But there's also some some negative changes, and I've seen them not particularly um, at, at my time currently at the Center for Congregations, but even just as a a minister uh, of the gospel and, and in the community of of being able to make positive changes. I'll give you a perfect example, and I think you can relate to this, Matt, mm-hmm. just from be- your experience. COVID. COVID was a huge game changer uh, as it relates to technology in the church. <laughs> just a bit. And, and yeah, I mean, just, just a little bit, right? And so being able to have conversations with with churches that say, oh, yes, we, we want to get new technology. We want to stream. And then to hear churches say, no, we're not interested. We mm-hmm. don't want technology. We don't want to be out to the masses. We don't want everyone to see us. If they want to know us, they can come to church, mm-hmm. right? So I'm not... I'm not advocating for either way. I'm just saying sure. there are some some tensions there. So so change is is inevitable, mm-hmm. but it can be very difficult. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think for just about anyone, COVID comes to mind immediately when we talk about change mm-hmm. because it's changed mm-hmm. patterns of behavior in church and uh, congregational attendance. It's changed mm-hmm. giving patterns. It's changed uh, people's needs. It's changed the landscape of the mental health industry and the awareness of mental health needs in our communities. Um, it's just been, you know, it's it's a clear demarcation in history for the for the United Absolutely. States, at least uh, between what used to be and what is now. And I think we'll continue to be wrestling with those changes for years to come. And the cool thing about it, and we'll we'll talk about the article uh, that Julian wrote at the beginning of the interview. But um, there's some interesting insight out there about how congregations can use tradition to, to wrestle with change. And I know uh, Dave Odom mm-hmm. at, at Duke um, University did a, an article a number of years ago, and I'll have to dig that up and put that in the show notes, about how corporate organizations were looked at in terms of how do they wrestle with change, and the ones that did so successfully relied on their traditions, and that's in the corporate setting. And so there was a lot of mm-hmm. interesting conversation about how that translates into faith settings, because we have yes. an even deeper 
longer, richer tradition, hopefully a more meaningful yes. tradition than, than most corporations, yes. um, and how we can yep. use those traditions, those faith traditions, to to help us wrestle with change. Um, so Absolutely. really excited for you to hear this interview. Was there anything else you wanted to throw in, JC? No, I, I, I agree with you 100%. I think it, it is absolutely imperative that we look at traditions and those certain things that we hold dear. And what I've seen more recently than I think I've seen in a while is a call back to those traditions and mm. those principles to say, hey, listen, everything that was done 50 years ago wasn't that bad. I mean, there's some things we really we really want to maintain. And then there's some things, again, that we, uh, we, we might need to adapt and change. And so now it's funny to see people saying we need to change change, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So <laughs> I, I just think it's really, it's really neat. It's, it's really neat and it's interesting at the same time. Yep, absolutely. All right, so next up is Reverend Julian DeChazier, Senior Pastor of University Church in Chicago. He's a national speaker, advocate, and MC who does music under the name of Jay Quest. All right, everybody, welcome back. We are here with Julian DeChazier. Julian, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Now, we're excited to have you and, and talk with you about... Um, I was I was captivated by the article that you wrote for the Christian Century about reimagining how we reimagine church and uh, the sense that um, we need to get away from kind of corporate ways of understanding or thinking about things and getting back to our using our faith roots, our faith traditions as a strength in times of change. Um, what kind of brought you to that subject or or that thought process? I was a part of, and I've been a part of a few different like. You new pastor leadership cohort initiatives. I think every denomination and tradition has them, you know, where it's like, mm-hmm. all right, some new folks are coming in. Let's show them the ropes in terms of we're not going to tell them how to preach, but but we're going to do everything else. We're going to talk about administrative stuff. We're going to, you know, talk about leadership and, and everything. And so many of those programs that I went through kind of started from the perspective of, we need more corporate language. You know, we need to mm-hmm. run our run what we're doing a little bit more. We need to run the church a little bit tighter, you know, uh, which I hear as like w- what I hear overarching that is kind of the idea that, hey, we got to bring a lot of our churches into the 21st century, which I, I agree, you know, is, is absolutely true. But the approach that we take in doing that then says, all right, well, how are we going to update? Let's look at what kind of wisdom exists out here inside of the corporate world. And and that was sort of the thing that it didn't bother me. I mean, I actually appreciated getting to know Harvard Business Review articles or, you know, processes, resources and values and, and analyzing those. All that stuff is really, really helpful. But when we anchor ourselves in that and center what we do in that, then a lot of the decisions that end up being made inside of churches become corporate decisions and not theological decisions. So somebody Mm. may, for example, and and we've probably seen this either in our home church or churches in our neighborhood. They might have used to feed the hungry every Saturday or something or, or whatever. And then. You know, you go through this kind of process and you realize, wow, yeah, this we really value this, but we don't have a lot of resources to it or it's not very efficient or only four people come and it costs us a lot of money to do. And so you end up saying, okay, well, maybe we're going to cut it, you know, and Mm -hmm. if you center yourself theologically, you say, no, we're going to feed these people, period. Mm -hmm. We're going to figure out a way to feed these people and we're going to figure out a way to do it better, but we're not going to stop doing that. You know, and so we kind of move our, we, we get a little drift, a little drift. Mm-hmm. 
I think, uh, to use a corporate word, you know, away from <laughs> who we are and, and what we understand. And so that article was really about me, I, I think, um, reminding myself, I'm never yelling at other people. I'm, everything I do, sermons, songs, anything are, are always about kind of a dialogue with me first. But it's just a reminder mm-hmm. for me that, like, let's make sure we remain the church in everything we're mm-hmm. doing. Let's make sure that we are being centered, not by our sense of efficiency, but by our sense of who we believe God to be and what we believe God needs us to be in this world, on mm-hmm. this corner. If I'm hearing you right, it seems like a clash of values that, that you know, there's nothing wrong per se with the corporate language or the principles, but typically if it comes from corporate or comes from business, the underlying value is return on investment. That's right. All that kind of thing. That's right. It's the orientation. The basic orientation of a lot of that the language and concepts is around profitability, you know, mm-hmm. or accountability to shareholders. And I think inside of church language, we need to be careful about that, even in terms of accountability to members. You know, I'm in a congregational mm-hmm. polity, you know, and so the members uh, can hire and fire me. But I don't want to think about that when I'm making my decisions. I want to mm-hmm. think about accountability to God and and what yeah. we feel like, again, what we feel like um, and how we interpret God's mission for us in this moment, I want to be central to everything that we're doing and then let everything else then. Okay. Then, you know, I'm not saying let's reject the wisdom of the world, so to speak, but, you know, let's make sure that in whatever we're doing, we're centering our theology or it's saying something, everything we do should be saying something about who we believe God to be and ourselves to be, you know, and and the church to be. Mm -hmm. And, and, and a lot of decisions uh, when they don't have that can just come off as like uh, this kind of nonprofit corporatism, you know, Um, and, and, and really can lose the smell of, of churchiness, you know, Mm -hmm. which I think some people have actively tried to get away from, you know, because of uh, whatever is happening in a particular tradition that they might be saying, okay, we're going to actually go be something very different. We want to look more corporate. We want to feel like uh, a, a little bit more familiar to what they experience and know from work or other kinds of settings. Um, and, and yeah, to, I, I don't, you know, I don't want to argue against an invisible person, but, you know, I, I just think that <laughs> if we're going to be the church, um, then everything we do should be centered around our sense of God. This is an amazing uh, topic and conversation. And one of the questions that I think about, can I, I can call you Julian, correct? Is that yeah, okay? Yeah, you can call okay. me Jew if you so, want. You all okay. <laughs> I love that. So, what role do you think the church's connection or collaboration, or even some would argue fascination with building separate uh, CDCs and community development corporations and and separate organizations to do the same work that the church does, but do it separate of the church. W- where do you think that has played a role in this corporate jargon language and, and expectation? Yeah, that, that's a really interesting question because at, at one level, I really do understand the logic of that. In mm-hmm. particular, now that I'm um, uh, our churches ap- applying for grants in the city. Yeah. We're here in Chicago. And, you know, and a lot of times early on, uh, we would apply for grants to do some youth work or something. And they were like, yeah, we, we're not giving money to a church. 
You know, they just couldn't be associated with that or didn't want to be able to say, like, we're giving money to a church because then it can be interpreted in whatever kind of way. Right. As like you have a faith based mission or whatever. And so uh, we ended up using a separate not for profit that that was focusing on youth work, doing all the same work, you know, but now is outside of the church's not-for-profit and budget and all of that kind of stuff. And it does make sense for those kinds of reasons to do it. I think, though, it can come out of a, a real anxiety, I think, mm-hmm. that we are afraid to be church out in the world, you know, mm-hmm. out with everybody else. We're afraid to do that. Uh, and in some ways, ashamed, mm-hmm. you know, we don't want to be associated with Maybe the abuse and over here in a particular kind of place or the kind of prosperity speak of another kind of place. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we might try to engage ourselves almost apologetically like, oh, I'm a pastor, but I'm a good one. I'm a good one. Or, we're a church, but we're, we're, we're a good yeah. church. And sometimes people just say, you know what, we're going to do that. We're going we're gonna to use another vehicle altogether. And the challenge of that, I think, or the thing that we have to be mindful of of is that when we present forward with the the CDC, which exists for a very good reason, and again, just tries to isolate budgets, you know, this church budget over here and this development budget over here, these should be separate. You know, I agree with that. Mm -hmm. Um, But when we present with that, then do we ever let people know that this is a mission of the church? You know, like we got to come back around as the CDC is developing and say, hey, this exists because of our understanding of our faithfulness in the world. And that, to me, shows a different picture and vision of faithfulness and what that can look like in the world that might not necessarily be out on the corner passing pamphlets because people don't want that. But to say, hey, you know what, this is our faithfulness and this is what it looks like. This is what the church can be in the 21st century. I think that it's it's coming back around then to say, this is the church too, as opposed to saying, oh, we're something different from the church or or the church is over there. We're something Mm -hmm. different. Right. right. No, no, this is the church too. Well, I'm just, I'm reflecting on the fact that the the evangelical church in, in its, in its origins was very socially active um, in, in uh, anti-slavery movements, in, uh, in, you know, uh, community, uh, what we would now call community ministry, just being, being concerned for things that that would be considered social justice concerns. Um, There was an article I read in seminary about uh, John Wesley, that he was, he was speaking out against horse racing, but it wasn't, the betting that concerned him, it was the fact that, that in a time of scarcity, they were giving prime grain to these horses just so they could run. So essentially, basically using this thing that could be helpful for people who were in, in need, um, providing that as an entertainment thing instead. So it was a very uh, grounded concern there. Um, but as the evangelical church, it, from, from my experience of it and being a part of it, as it moved into the future, there became this very big separation between the spiritual and the physical. And that w- the concern about the spiritual is all about your ultimate destination and not so much about how you're behaving in the world or, or in, in your communities. And I'm just wondering if, if you think that um, the anxiety you were talking about, about showing up in a CDC uh, f- you know, uh, context with your faith is is an anxiety that that comes from that kind of 
division that was has been created over time. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think that that can have something to do with it. I think, like, so much of so much of what I am arguing for within myself and trying to practice is a kind of embodiment, a kind of understanding that our faith lives in our bodies. And that's where it lives. That that even when we say spirit and body, like you only understand you have a spirit because you have a body. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like that's that's the only that's the only reason. Like like they, they go together. They're not separate uh, in the way in which I think we've been so effective at doing, whether it's because of the Enlightenment or, you know, however far back you want to go or 20th century stuff, kind of like you mm-hmm. described uh, in the evangelical movement. But, you know, the the thing that like we don't go to church, we are the church. Mm. Like the church is everybody who shows up that that week, you know, like and 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 we don't we don't and then we do church. Like church is a verb. Church is an invo- an embodied way of being that I think allows us to be really creative and dynamic and innovative without losing our churchiness. In fact, to say like no, we're the church. We do this because we're the church. Like mm-hmm. we're gonna do uh, uh, some some house parties up on the theater on the second floor of our church, and it's like we're we're not gonna use a new organization name to do that, right? It's like no, these are a university church, and and I want people to be like, what? Wait, you doing mm-hmm. a house party at a church? Was yeah, come check it out, or you know, let us say more, you know, to talk about that vision and that understanding as opposed to church is what happens on Sundays. Mm-hmm. No, church is, I think, the, the embodiment of our faithfulness. And that, mm-hmm. is, that is as perpetual as we are. You know? mm-hmm. And so everywhere we are, we look like what the church is and can be, as we are doing it faithfully, at least. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I think that that, that, that way of us saying we're going to, we're going to split this up, which which I think really like like if I'm going to get at it for real, let me just say it plainly that I think a lot of us have a kind of insecurity, shame, but also insecurity around what we think the church can offer mm. beyond songs, prayers, getting together weekly, helping your spirit out. But like, no, I mean, we got to go back to to we got to look back through our tradition and even back through scripture at moments mm-hmm. where where the tradition is that the church is at the center of the community, you know, and we can do that well without a lot of the authority and power that kind of broke that system down, you know, the abuses of power or allegiance to the state that really made the church as an institution, capital C church, a very suspect institution (laughs) in in a lot of spaces. But I think we can do continue to have uh, church and religion and faith space and faith communities at the center of conversations of, of healing and development around the community without all of the, the drama and, and disease that has come with that historically. I think that's the thing I'm arguing for is like, we don't have to be insecure about what the church offers and brings the language that we bring, the, the perspective and stance that we will bring to certain tables of politics or, or development or whatever kind of healing healthcare, you know, like that the church might have a perspective based on our tradition, our understanding of scripture, our, the way that we practice in the world. But we've been a little insecure about that and said, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure this will be helpful. 
Mm-hmm. And I think we say that about ourselves in our own development. Like, I don't like if, if we think we need to change a ministry, like, why would I use a scripture to help support that? Let me go. Let's let's talk about what Apple is doing right now. Yeah. You know, let's talk about what Google is doing. And it's like you, you don't need to. I mean, you can. Sure. An anecdote is an anecdote. Right. But like. We also have like this piece of theology over here, this moment of the tradition that we can say, hey, this looks a lot like this, as opposed mm-hmm. to saying, hey, this looks like a lot like what Google did in 2002, you know, mm-hmm. it, where it's like, wh- why are we? That's the thing I'm so interested about. And I, I'm not sure I have an answer. I've offered a few shame, insecurity, what have you. But like, why? Why do we not look back? at the tradition that we have and that is supposed to ground us. Um, why in thinking about innovation or doing better or growing more or, you know, just being a better church, yeah. do we turn to other models that aren't thinking about us at all? And then we have to do all this extra work of translating their thing into our stuff. And it's like we're doing a we're spending a lot of energy trying to be down with some folks who don't want to be down with us. You know, that's right. That's right. <laughs> like, and that, that's maybe that's let me just say it in hip hop. You know what I'm saying? We spend yeah. a lot of time trying to be down with people who don't care about us. Well, you said you said it in your article. And, and this is one of the, the most fascinating points, in my opinion, about, look, the young people recognize the shenanigans when yeah. you're trying to be hip and you're trying all these things and you're spending resources trying to attract them and it's not working and they're like uh, okay this ain't my th- my thing here so could it be that there is not just that shame of looking back but that shame of feeling like what happened then is not may sound strange not complicated enough it's not it's not new enough. It's not yeah. fresh enough. You know, mm-hmm. if I do what my grandma did, it's not, it, it won't work because there's so much distance of time where when really you look at ministry and there are some things you may have to dust off, but they work, you know, so they do work. Yeah, they do work. I'm sorry. I'll cut you off. No, you, no, 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 no. So, so <laughs> that, that was just something that I was presenting. Oh, could as, it be? Could that yeah, be another could, piece could that of be like, oh, I'm ashamed. I do think that, yeah. you know, we just like. Some of us really want to want to be the, the shiny new object, mm. you know, and and if ch- I think that church is, is that the idea of church, like from its beginning is about k- being storytellers and story keepers. Right. So it's like a mm. container for tradition, you know, so by its very nature, it is not consumed with being the shiny new anything. It is like, no, actually, this is the old box we carry around always. (laughs) Literally, the Ark of the Covenant. You know, like, this is is the shiny new, this is not the shiny new anything. This is is your grandmother's song, you know? And we're going to teach it to you now. And and then you're Mm going to teach it to your children. And then, you know, like, that's kind of what church and community, I think at its best, is doing outside of all the social, you know, justice and community service stuff. Like what it's doing is, is it's doing something that's not very new at all. It's saying that what is old is still very valuable, mm. that, that what is thousands of years old, what is older than you, what is older than anybody you've ever met or seen before um, is very valuable and helped you to get here. 
and mm-hmm. and you will take it and you will help people who you do not know and will never meet um, who will carry it with you. So it's a, it becomes this moment of like like church is an opportunity and a moment for passing things that are very much older than us and really don't belong to us. And, and I think that that's, you know, that, I think that runs counter to your point, JC, it runs counter to what we are doing right now, mm. which is giving new iterations of things, phones, whatever, every year and saying, this is the one you do now, forget that old thing. Mm. That's obsolete, you know, and, and the notion of, of things becoming obsolete, whether it's news, whether it's technology, is very much a part of who we are right now. And so the argument or, or the stance that I'm taking um, in the line in the sand is to say, no, some things are not obsolete. Some things need to be here if we're going to be all that we can be, if we're going to be the best version of ourselves. It's not going to be just the new thing that we have that helps us do that. It's going to be a very old thing mm. that that we don't even fully understand, but we know has deep power in it and that we're going to try to build our lives around understanding more and, and holding well, which is our faithfulness, you know? And, and so sometimes it can just create a, a, a weird kind of paradox when we try to, to flash it up in some ways, you know, like I've, I've heard... One of my, and I'm a musician, so musicians get annoyed by everything, but I'm I'm particularly annoyed (laughs) when like, when, when we take old hymns and then we just like try to flash up the music and do some strange stuff where it's like, 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 no, I think I want my kids to hear great is thy faithfulness the way that my grandmother heard it. Mm. I want them to hear it like that. And I want them to, I want some, something magical to happen in that moment where because they are singing the same song, though they have barely known each other, you know, um, that they are now share the same space. One as ancestor, one, you know, as growing into the world. I think there's something powerful about that. Now you can, you know, add guitars and all that and for sure. But when we like change everything up, so it's like, this isn't that song anymore. Yeah. This is such a remix that the original is not recognizable yeah. mm-hmm. that that's when I say, well, OK, that that was cool. But what are you saying about the original if you needed to change it up so much? Right. What are you saying about it? JC, I think that's what we're getting at. Like, what are you saying? Yeah. Are you, mm-hmm. you ashamed of the original? Is it, are, are, you, are you insecure right. about the original? Is it not new enough? You know, like this. Like, what are you saying? Because I think that we can hear the original and just appreciate it, yeah. you know. And I've seen, you know. I've seen what what I guess you would call um, modern gospel music. You know, I am unashamedly a millennial. I'm an '80s baby, and yeah. and I have noticed that a great is thy faithfulness lasts a lot longer than Stomp. And a lot oh. of people disagree with me, but I'm like, listen. We're not singing Stomp anymore. Like, I remember yeah. when Kirk Franklin and Stomp came out, every youth choir was singing it. We were performing it. We were dancing. We're not doing that anymore. But we're still singing Great Is Thy Faithfulness. So there's a longevity. There's a presence. There's a spirit with it that I think some of us might be rejecting to our detriment. And I think you're saying two things there. Like, like one thing that I hear is the reality that the new thing can quickly become nostalgic. 
mm-hmm. way sooner than the old thing. <laughs> that's and right. that that really has, it's not anymore a factor of time. Mm-hmm. It's really a factor of like just where it lands in the culture, where, mm-hmm. it, you know, just the way that it sits and lands and is treated can be one way in which it is going to be regarded as nostalgic or not. The reason why if you pull out a flip phone, everybody's going to be like, whoa, (laughs) right? Because it just, it's just, it was just around for longer. It was, it it meant something different back then. You know, if you pull out an iPhone 7 now, folks are like, why you got an iPhone 7? Like, you know, when the new thing is clearly better than any version of the flip phone that has ever existed. Right. Like it it is clearly better. And yet what has happened? I think that's what you're describing in the songs. And a part of it is kind of like where it lands and the timing at which it lands and then how it's treated by the culture. And then the second piece. And and this is the piece that I I'm not intending any kind of diss to Kirk Franklin. That's genius. Absolutely not. Yeah, absolutely. But to just say it. Great is that faithfulness is a better song. Like there are some (laughs) things that are older that are just better than the newer thing. And we have to be able to acknowledge that too. Um, My great aunt would always pull out this old can opener at her house. And I'll be like, what is, like this thing is chaos. It is like, you had to like, it had a magnet, you had to lock it in and you had to press, it was just chaos. (laughs) Yeah, it was just like, what is this? She was like, this works. How many can openers have you bought since then? I've only bought this one. This is my only one that I've had. You know, and so there, there's some sense at which, like, the thing that was made a long time ago was built to last. And so we ought to use it. And sure, we can poke at it and try some innovations. But at a certain point, we have to acknowledge, like, no, this works. We, mm. we need to keep singing this. Or, you know what, this, yeah, this, this, this feeding the hungry ministry that we have, you know what? We, we need to keep doing this, period. It's not efficient. It's costing us a lot of money. But you know what? We, we're going to keep doing this. This is who we are. This works. This works. Do we need to figure out how to do it better? Do we need to figure out how to market it better? Do we? Need, yes, of course. Of course. Uh, but we're not going to change the essential elements of what we're doing here. You know? And that's, that's what I, I think uh, when we get to saying, oh, it's, it's old. we need something new because this is old. Mm. That that's a way of thinking that is very much driven, I think, by the the nature of our times where it's like, I need a new car because my old car is old. I had a friend who said that once. It was just like, I've had my car 10 years. I need a new car. And it's like, does your car still work? Like, is there anything wrong with your car? No, it's a Toyota. It's going to last 200,000 more miles. That's right. Right? It's going to last as long as they need it to work. It will work. Um, But it's just the sense of, like, I just feel like I need something new. I need something different, Mm -hmm. to your point. You know, and and that's, that's like, okay, well, if you got money to do it, then... You ain't hurting nobody. You know, if you want a new car, go get a new car, whatever, if it'll help you out. When we do that inside of ministries, I think then we risk losing something. I'm not worried about what we lose when we get rid of an old car and get a new car. I'm not, you know, that I don't think anything's lost. Um, But when we do that inside of ministries, then it's like, well, 
no, this works. This works. This is good. This is good. And some of the innovations have been necessary, like seatbelts to cars. Like, you know, like we, we've needed that. Uh, we've needed to move from an hour long sermon to 30 minutes or shorter mm-hmm. inside of certain traditions. We needed that. We needed to decenter the sermon as the most important part of the worship service mm. and make room for music and other litanies and liturgies and prayers as mom- to acknowledge that these are moments when other people are going to to find, you know, their access to God and the spirit. I'm just talking about the Sunday experience now. Now we, you know, across the ministry, there are a ton of ways we can think about that. We need to use QuickBooks, you know, as opposed to like on a notebook right now, our tab, our, our tablets are having a, a, a checkbook receipt or something like, don't hand me a yellow receipt when I do offerings at church, you know, like, I, w- I would like this recorded properly. You know, those kinds of innovations do not change the fundamental nature. They actually allow us to do what we say we need to do a lot easier, a lot faster, um, and and to do it better, I think. There are those kinds of innovations, and then there are the innovations that change fundamentally who we are and how we mm-hmm. operate. Yeah, and it seems like you're you're talking about the difference between tools and 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 culture. Um, like when you were talking about storytelling, it just made me think about how we we are drawn to business principles and practices because that's what we're immersed in as a culture. We're immersed in ROI. We're immersed in efficiency. We're immersed in uh, newness, yeah, as you mentioned. Um, but that's but that's because those are the stories that our culture tells. That's those are the stories that we hear. Uh, in in other spaces, but if we listen to the stories of our faith tradition, that's telling a different narrative with different values. That's right. And so we need to listen to the values of our faith traditions rather than the values of the culture. Um, but but it, but use the tools that are available to us, but just still maintain the values uh, in the past or, or of the past. Don't let the, um, you don't know, it let strikes the tools me, become the culture. Mm-hmm. You know, like let the yeah. tools yeah. help build the culture. Right. Too often, I think what we're seeing is the tools are becoming the culture. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Mm. No, no, no. That's a good. That's a good observation. I mean, it's like you know, you talked about QuickBooks, and and so you do that, and you get better bookkeeping practices, but then you see that the food pantry might be losing money, and therefore you might be tempted to close it. But it's like, what's the value there? Is the value the fact that you're losing money, or is the value the fact that you're feeding people who need to be fed? That's right. Mm. Um, so, so not, yeah, not allowing the tool to, to change your culture and how you do things. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And it was an interesting observation about music. Cause I was listening to a podcast not too long ago where they were talking about, have you, have you noticed that there's just no new Christmas music? And I, I just, it's interesting that I, I hadn't thought about it until you were having the conversation about music in the church, uh, that, that we're fine with that innovation, but, but man, you try to create new Christmas music, nobody's going to be angry with that. <laughs> exactly right. You can't even cover the music. Just play that version. I don't mean. <laughs> that's right. No, I don't, no one else besides that yeah. the way needs to sing this Christmas. All right. That's, yeah. that's it. We got yeah. it. Yeah. We good. Yeah. And if you're going to do it. You got to do something really like phenomenal with it. You can't just sing it like mm-hmm. he sang it. <laughs> right. You got to really like take it to a different place. Mm-hmm. And and so, mm-hmm. yeah, no, that's a good yeah. observation. It's good. 
Yeah. Because yeah, as a culture, we value the tradition of, of Christmas, but but you know, in in congregational spaces, we worry about it feeling too old, so we want to move forward and create create new. Um, but but I think also we yeah, it's we're not we're not carrying forward the values of those stories. Like great is thy faithfulness. People, a lot of people don't like older hymns because they say I don't understand them. The language is old, the arrangement's slow. Um, but have you ever really stopped to reflect on the story that it's telling? Because that's the important piece, right? Is is uh, what it's trying to teach or shape you, the way it's trying to shape you as a person, how it's trying to create a story and a narrative that you then live into as a virtue and a value. Mm-hmm. Which would mean, and, and I think this is what I'm getting at with my point of decentering the sermon as the most important part of worship. Like sometimes we will design our music to support the sermon mm-hmm. as my my, my uh, music director here will say well, what are you preaching about now you know i'll pick around that that we, we you know we can do that the other way around sometimes you tell me a hymn that you want to sing that feels really important to who we are as a people maybe mm-hmm. i'll write my sermon to talk about that hymn mm-hmm. and i'll mm-hmm. just take that moment to tell the story and situate the context and go through some of the lyrics and say, this is why this is so important, right? So to teach the song mm-hmm. as important as opposed to the song needing to support me. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I am always, you know, mindful of, of the ways in which uh, music is far more important than we give it room for, you know, mm-hmm. inside of, of worship services. And I, I'm, feel like I'm uh, digressing here, but you know, like just the ways in which we can think differently about holding differently what has been so important to us throughout the years and across the generations and, and really do some different work with it. We can do some different work. Like when it's time to do something new, we don't necessarily need new songs. <laughs> we, we, the new thing that we need is 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 often different from that. Um, it's a different way of being, you know. Mm-hmm. And and so, when the tools become the culture, we don't we don't pause and reflect on that. Like, what am I valuing here when I'm doing this? What am I valuing? Mm-hmm. That's that's really the question that I'm wanting to ask that, that when we, you know, get to get together in March, you know, that I'm really like, okay, that's, let's, let's spend some time with that. Mm-hmm. What does this decision say about what we believe? Mm-hmm. And not enough of us ask that. We just kind of ask, well, what does the bottom line say we need to do? And, you know, corporations make layoffs when they need to save money. Um, and when we need to become more, you know, when we need to, when we get in financial trouble, we need to ask a different sort of questions. Hmm. When, when there are fewer people coming to church, as as is the as was the case pre-COVID, and now hmm. is like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's that's over with. Full sanctuaries, that's that, that's over with. Um, you know that we need to when we find ourselves in these moments of crisis. Let's make sure that we're asking the right questions as we begin to address that problem. Hmm. Or even what we're going to call the problem there. Yeah. Cool. So as we come to, to the end of our time here, Julian, I'm curious, where are the bright spots around this topic that you are seeing in, in congregations? Where are some, some positive places where you see this reliance on tradition 
and this faithfulness? I think all across the city of Chicago and, and the nation, really, when I'm traveling around, I am noticing mm-hmm. places that are saying, we're the church. It looks different, smells mm-hmm. different, it feels different, but we're the church. Um, and we're going to sing, we're going to pray now, you know, we're going to pray because mm-hmm. that's what Christians do. We're going to pray. It's going to feel uncomfortable for you, you know, but that's okay. Cause that's what our tradition says. We're going to pray. Um, we're going to sing this hymn. Now you're not going to know this hymn, but I want you to know that this hymn is a hundred years old and, and it's, it works, you know, um, we're going to do that. Like people who are not afraid, ashamed or seduced, maybe is a word that we can add to that based on this conversation mm-hmm. by the new, but to say, Hey, new things are fine. And old things are fine. Old things are fine. Mm-hmm. They're, they're good. They're built to last that I, I'm seeing that in a lot of different congregations. I think we're trying to practice that here at university church. And so, you know, I'm very encouraged by that. And I think the encouragement comes in, in my particular case, when a lot, like we're on the campus of the university of Chicago. And so students, show up. And they're like, I appreciate that. That wasn't what I expected. A lot of people, they hear, okay, there's this hip hop pastor, you know, here. And so, oh, it's going to be edgy, you know, and sometimes it is. I think our worship is edgy in a lot of different ways, but not, not typically in terms of music, because I am a musician and appreciate the anthems and the spirituals and the hymns so much. I'm like, no, you need to hear this too. You need to hear this too. And and you need to hear it sung in the context it was made for, congregational singing, sing it with another person out loud. You know, like that's, that's what this was made for. This wasn't made for Spotify. You know, this was made for <laughs> you to sing with other people um, out loud mm-hmm. and to have a certain kind of rhythm that goes with it. And you would think that like a lot of people who are millennials would say or younger would say, oh, I don't mess with that. But they're like, no, oh, that was cool. That was cool. You know, you mix it in. They they appreciate it. Sometimes they've said like, hey, can you sing this? You know, like and, and we'll say mm. we want to hear that one again. <laughs> that was the first time I heard that. That was amazing. You know, like I'd never heard that before. They never heard an organ before or something, you know. And so there are those kinds of of moments or moments when I see um, a CDC build a new building and, and really talk about that building as an, as an embodiment of their faithfulness and that whoever needs to live there doesn't need to be a Christian or a member of the church. No, this, this, no, we did this because we want to make it affordable for people to live in this city and in this neighborhood. And so we, we did this as an exercise of our faithfulness. I think that's like, when we do that, people are going to be like, I need to be down with the church. That's, this is because these are these folks are doing the right thing for the right reason. And it's actually, it's not hurting me. It's actually building me up. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Well, Julian, where can people find uh, you if they're looking for, want to hear more about you or, or your work? Uh, 
the website, who goes on a website, uh, is jquest.com <laughs> or juliandeshazier.com. They'll both take you to the same site. Um, and then the the socials are Pure Quest everywhere. P P U R E uh K West. Quest spelled K W E S T. So uh All right. yeah, Pure Quest. Check me out, reach out to me. I am I'm here to talk. So so let's talk. Appreciate that. Yeah, and we're very much looking forward to having you out, Julian. For those of you listening, uh, he will be doing a couple of education events for us in March of 2024. We have March 14th and March 20th of 2024. So if you're listening before that, you can register on our website, centerforcongregations.org. If you're listening after, uh, reach out and we can probably get you a copy of the recording of that session. And uh, so, Julian, thank you so much for your time today. And we're very much looking forward to having you out uh, online in a few weeks. I'm honored. Thank you so much. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, that was Reverend Julian DeChazier, Senior Pastor of University Church Chicago. So, JC, what are some of the interesting things that stood out to you from our conversation? Well, f- first and foremost, it was an excellent conversation, and it really got me excited, and it really it almost got me nostalgic in, in many ways. Uh, and it goes back mm-hmm. to the original point that I, I made uh, prior to jumping into the interview, and that is that there are some things, and yes, we need to change certain things, and, and we need to make sure we're progressing with technology and with media and social media. But from a a ecumenical perspective, there are some things that just still work. You know, mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that I think is is critical, and particularly in the black church experience, not not denoting any other experience, but I can only speak to my experience. Music is so important uh, to the culture uh, and to faith in the black church experience. And so mm-hmm. music, you know, there are some things, hey, you know, are the newer music, newer gospel, gospel hip hop, it works, right? So so it, it's great. And we have a generation of, of people that are gravitating to that, but there are some hymns that can just move you in a way mm-hmm. that other songs cannot. The, yes, there are some things culturally that we need to change and we need to shift, but there are some things that we may need to change back to and look mm-hmm. at in a, in a different way. It doesn't mean we need to change it. It needs to change us. And so I thought that was just really cool. Uh, yeah, I just loved it. I love the article and I, I mm-hmm. love the conversation. So it, it was great. Yeah, no, I love the focus on music. I thought that was spot on as a um, as a vehicle for. I mean, it's important in and of itself, but also just as an example of the kinds of things that we can rely on in our faith traditions. That we can go back to those those solid anchors. Um, it was really interesting. I heard a an interview with Brian Zond, who's an author, and he was talking about he he came uh, to faith in the Jesus movement in in I think the nineteen seventies. And was a part of that and part of the charismatic church movement, but then came to a place where where he felt like he needed a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And so he began looking back all the way to the church fathers. And when we talk about church fathers, we're talking about those those church leaders in the Christian tradition um, that existed in you know the the medieval uh, the medieval times uh, all the way back to the early uh, the early you know uh, three four five hundred A.D. Mm-hmm. and and just you know, finding the richness of of the Christian tradition all the way back there. And so I think, as we talked about in the interview, our our obsession with novelty often will prevent us from wanting to go back to those things that would help anchor us okay. and that would help us wrestle with the changes that we're dealing with. And then we end up reinventing the wheel, or or, or oh, yeah. we reinvent a square wheel. Yes. <laughs> we get a wheel yes. that don't work too well. <laughs> 
Absolutely. I agree 100%. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I just really appreciated the the focus there. And and especially I, I liked also the part of the conversation around getting back to a place where community development corporations and, and the ministries of congregations, that there's an acknowledgement that it's coming out of a faith-based tradition. Yes, absolutely. Because, because I think, and particularly in the 90s, I want to say the early 90s, it started probably in the late 80s, but I would say it became extremely prevalent in the early to mid 90s of churches establishing um, community development corporations or uh, community foundation corporations or whatever the case may be uh, as a philanthropic and community oriented arm of the church. And that mm-hmm. sounds like an oxymoron that that you would have to create another organization to do what the church was established to do. Uh, mm-hmm. And so looking back and saying, no, actually, wait a minute, these these are one and the same. And being, as you said, being able to say, yes, we have the community development organization uh, and we have our community engagement arm, but the, it is an extension of the church, not being afraid to say it is mm-hmm. an extension of the church. We do what we do for the sole purposes of ministry and engagement with individuals that may not come to our church on Sunday or Wednesday night. And so I think that's very prevalent because that was a huge phenomena with with many churches. You know, we can't really get the funding or we really can't do what we want to do in the name of religion. So we have to create these separate entities and then these separate entities become monsters. And I don't mean that the church is a monster, but they become <laughs> monsters in themselves. Like, you you know, you got, you got uh, separate boards and separate leaders and, and separate uh, community partners. And so it kind of leaves a a schism between the the work of the church and the work of that community organization when they really mm-hmm. can be merged together and collaborative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the original heart of wanting to serve is it comes out of that faith tradition and, right. and um, that should be acknowledged and, Absolutely. and should be appreciated and understood. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Great. Well, hey, let's turn our attention to resources. Uh, so I am going to try to find that article from Dave Odom and put that in the show notes. Sure. Uh, but we also have a couple of other resources that we wanted to share with folks. Yeah. So, uh, oh, and by the way, I will put the original article uh, that we read from from Julian about change. Uh, we'll also include that in the show notes. But sure. JC, what do you have for a resource for our audience? So um, one of the very effective articles that I think have been written recently is uh, by uh, Gilbert R. Rendell, who has been with the Albin organization, is with Duke Divinity School, uh, Leading Change in the Congregation. It's Spiritual and Organizational Tools for Leaders. I think that is an absolutely wonderful read. And I know that you may not be a leader in the congregation, but I think it's a read for any member of the congregation to see how change comes about, how do we lead change effectively, and how do we make change inclusive? Not that it's mm-hmm. just the leader says do it and we do it, but also saying, hey, we are partners in this change. And this is how we build not only a spiritual, but an organizational well-being uh, for our congregations. So leading change in the congregation, Gilbert R. Rendell uh, is, a, is an excellent resource that I think um, we would uh, like to share. Great. We'll make sure that makes it into the show notes. Um, I've got a book called Managing Transitions, Making the Most of Change by Mm -hmm. William Bridges and Susan Bridges. Mm -hmm. This is written from the perspective of an organizational consultant, and it's got uh, strategies and examples of how healthy transitions happen and can be applied in congregations. So this book really would be good for any uh, 
any faith tradition and clergy or lay leaders. And uh, it will provide just kind of helpful understanding. And I think, you know, we we <laughs> we don't seek out books about change or information about change until sometimes we're in the midst of the crisis of <laughs> right. change. And That's so right. That's I think, right. Uh, one of our recommendations would be to you know check these out, even if you're not in a major change right now. Uh, these will be things that you can absorb and then kind of have in your back pocket for when those kinds of things do appear, because um, we all really need to know how to how to wrestle with change. And Absolutely. no one saw COVID coming. Yeah. Um, you know, we made it through somehow, and we're yes. still here. Yes, but but it's, uh, but it's like you said, Matt. I, I want the audience to be clear. It's it, you said have these things in your back pocket when change comes. It's coming. Mm-hmm. I mean, whether yep. you like it or not, yep. in some way, shape, or form. So these are some amazing resources. And like and like we said, you know, if if you're not there yet, you'll be there. And if you if you're if you're not there, you're probably just coming out of it. Uh, so yeah, these will be very helpful. Absolutely. For those who are kind of from my tribe and from my background, uh, there is a book by Donald W. Dayton and Douglas M. Strong called Rediscovering an Evangelical Heritage, Hmm. a tradition and trajectory of integrating piety and justice. And so for those who are in that evangelical tradition, it's a really interesting read. I read this back, I think, when I was in seminary. And it just highlights how the the piety, the, the right living of the evangelical church in in its early uh, in its early days in like the 18 and 1900s was tied very close to social justice oh yes and uh, and so it's really interesting to see that that sometimes we see a divide or we see we, we think those are two two different things now um, being an evangelical and being concerned with social justice can often seem like they're on opposite sides uh, but uh, this is this talks about how those were very tightly tied in the beginning and and just recommending that you go back in whatever faith tradition you are from, uh, reach back in time and and just find something uh, to look into that will, uh, just out of curiosity's sake, that might stand you in good stead for when you wrestle with change. Maybe you'll find something that uh, that you just personally can hang on to or hang on to uh, as a congregation. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that'll do it for another episode of the Center for Congregations podcast. So please rate and review us wherever you listen to the podcast. This helps other people find this podcast and boosts us in the algorithms. Absolutely. And listen, we want you to follow us wherever you listen. That is Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever the case may be. We want you to follow us so you can get more content. Also, we want to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments or concerns, or you just want to say hi to us, we'd love to hear from you at podcast at centerforcongregations.org. Again, that's podcast at centerforcongregations.org. We also want to give a huge shout out and thank you to the Lily Endowment for their generous support in this podcast. Also, you can find more resources at any time at the CRG. It's the Congregational Resource Guide. That is T-H-E-C-R-G.org. Once again, T-H-E-C-R-G.org. It's a free searchable database of close to 2,000 of the best resources that we have discovered over the last several years, and those are on topics, uh, all kinds of topics related to congregational life. So we want to mention Michael Houston, our engineer. Thank you for making us sound great. And we want to do our geographical shout-out. This is your neck of the woods, JC. We're going to give a shout-out to those folks listening in Terre Haute, Indiana. Terre Haute. Shout-out to Terre Haute. Love it, love it. Indiana State. Yep. We appreciate those listeners in Terre Haute uh, and all across Indiana, the nation, and even around the world. So thanks so much for listening. For the Center for Congregations, I'm Matt Burke. And I'm JC Campbell. We'll see you in a couple weeks. See you.